church family, will you take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 119. We'll continue in our series, uh, this summer series in Psalm 119, starting in verse 81 here in just a moment. Uh, Quickly, as you find your place, I want to say thank you to first our worship team. Uh, Pastor Brian was... uh, had to respond to a family emergency in the last uh, 48 hours or so and head to Delaware to help his parents and our worship team who was planning to have him here today stepped in leading us in corporate worship. Here's the good thing about the way that we uh, approach music. It's not about who's singing on this platform. It is about who is singing in those pews, that we sing one to another. Uh, these people are just telling us when to do that and to give us some music to do it by. And so thank you to them for uh, stepping in in Brian's absence. Also, thank you to the 111 of you that volunteered this last week at Vacation Bible School. This was our largest Vacation Bible School ever. Uh, Every day we had over 300 people here counting our volunteers, Uh, dozens and dozens of families from our church our, no, sorry, from, not only from our church, but from our community, trusting us uh, with their kids to love them and to show them the love of Christ. But hundreds of people here Thursday night uh, for family night. Thank you, volunteers. We could not do this without you. It takes uh, just an extraordinary amount of people to do uh, what we do with Vacation Bible School. And I know many of you sacrificed a lot of your time uh, and energy and effort to do that. And uh, it was truly an incredible week. I invite you now to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, picking up here in the 11th section of Psalm 119, starting in verse 81. This is the word of the Lord. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commands are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for answering the prayer that we asked corporately last week that you would bless our efforts this last week through Vacation Bible School. We thank you, God, that hundreds of children were able to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that the world seeks to lead them on a path that is wide and broad and ultimately leads to destruction, but that you have laid before them a narrow path that through faith and obedience of Jesus Christ, they can walk down that leads to everlasting life. Thank you for the many who helped, who served, who gave of their time and of themselves this last week. God, we pray that the fruit of the gospel would manifest itself in salvation in the lives of children and their parents who heard the gospel on Thursday night. 
Father, as we, your people, continue down the narrow path that leads to eternal life, we do so with longing in our hearts. We do so following the example of the psalmist in this text who shows us what it means to desperately long for the salvation of the Lord and the darkness that surrounds us as it surrounded him. Will you instruct us by your word? Encourage us and correct us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This was a unique week for me. VBS always is because uh, my most of the time nice and quiet office was anything but. This place uh, was packed with children, happy children, eating lots of sugar, (laughs) getting to make crafts and sing songs loudly everywhere I went. Children were singing songs in our building this week. It really was great, playing games in the sweltering heat. It smelled like children. It sounded like children. The whole place looked like children. The entire place was decorated for Vacation Bible School. And yet, I still have to preach this morning. And I'm I'm always just in the providence of God because we don't plan a VBS sermon. We just pick up where we left off. I'm, I'm always amused at the good humor of our God in his providence as I move into the next text. And so while VBS was happening and I was very, tried to be as much as I could, very present for Vacation Bible School, I still had to prepare a sermon, and so I would steal away at times into my study, and I would prepare really what is a sermon on a dark section of Psalm 119. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century preacher in England, writes in his commentary of uh, the Psalter this about this section of Psalm 119. He says, this octave is the midnight of the psalm. So of all of Psalm 119, this is its darkest moment. He says, and very dark and black it is. Stars, however, shine, Spurgeon writes, and the last verse gives promise of the dawn. This is the greatest expression of the psalmist's longing in the longest psalm of the Psalter. Twice the psalmist will tell us that he is longing for something and then he turns to the Lord and asks the question maybe that many of us have asked, how long, oh Lord? What is the word, what is longing? Our sermon is entitled, In Our Longing. This isn't a word we use all that often, so maybe we should understand its meaning. Longing is a deep word a deep inward conviction that something more is out there. Now, that's, you're not going to find that definition. That's Ryan Bryce's definition kind of compiled of many. But it's this deep-seated inward feeling that something is missing, that there's still something yet to, to obtain, to have, to, to lay hold of. Our flesh often longs for things. The world speaks about longing in my research for this sermon. I I read an, an article on the Huffington Post, which has nothing to do with Christianity at all, about the longing of of people in the world and why we just kind of by nature long. What is it that people long for? Some long for the past. 
I think the older we get, the, the more that kind of increases within us. I, I miss the 90s when you could get a supersized Big Mac meal for $4.99 and music was good. <laughs> some of us, some of you are like, man, you didn't even know the 60s when you get a Big Mac for 25 cents. Some of us long for a person. There's a person in your life who is missing. They have passed on. They have moved away. They were ever present and now they are ever absent and you long for that connection. Sometimes our longing is just for something more. That we believe that there is something more, something that we're missing out on. And so we, we long to, to see it and, and to know what it is. We can't quite put words to it. We can't quite touch it. But that feeling is there. Sometimes that long is longing, and we're talking about longing of the flesh here. Sometimes that longing is just a longing for change. We find ourselves in a rut. You know, eating the same ham and cheese sandwich every day will eventually, for most of us, get old. And we look for a way to mix up our routine. This isn't only for Christians. It's not unique for us. The, the world experiences, the flesh experiences these longings. And many Christians experience longing in the same way that people in the world do. But there is a unique kind of longing for those who are in Christ. There is a longing for something that we know is true. Our longing is different. It's a, it's a longing for the salvation of the Lord. As the psalmist will express here. And we'll see in just a moment. And you may say, but wait, pastor, I'm saved. Why do I have a longing for the salvation of the Lord if years, decades ago, I professed faith in Jesus and he saved me. Why do I long for something that I already have? Well, it's helpful to recognize the truth of our salvation. Our salvation can rightly be spoken of and the Bible rightly speaks of it in all three tenses, past, present, and future. It is right to say that I was saved. It is right to say that I am being saved, and it is right to say that I will one day be saved. Depending on what part and function of salvation we speak of, our justification is in the past, our sanctification is in the present, and our future glorification is in the future. And the future is not here yet. And so while we still in this world experience darkness and pain and turmoil, as the author of this psalm has expressed multiple times already in varying sections of this psalm and does so here really in this darkest sense, we still experience these things. And so within the Christian is a longing for what they know is sure, that God has given to them and has promised to fulfill, and yet we still long for it. So this isn't a sermon about worldly longing. It may be a sermon about writing our perspective of worldly, of worldly longing. We will see that along the way. But this truly, at its core, is a sermon about Christian longing, longing like the psalmist did for the salvation of the Lord. Our main idea today 
is this. As we long for the salvation of the Lord, we should trust in his enduring faithfulness. So as we, God's people, those who have placed their faith and hope in Jesus Christ alone, long for his salvation, as we have this deep inward conviction that that his salvation is true, that it is now and yet it is not yet fully realized in our lives, we long for it. And as we do, we trust in the enduring faithfulness of the Lord. We will see this really in a progression through three sections of this portion of Psalm 119. The first, the nature of our longing. Look with me in these first three verses. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. So twice here, in verse 81 and 82, the psalmist tells us that he is longing. Now again, this is poetic. Anytime we are reading the psalm, the psalms, we need to read it through the eyes of poetry because it is, literally, it is poetry. And so it often repeats itself. It uses metaphors like we'll see in verse 83, and I'll explain in just a moment. Uh, it, it uses repetition to, to move a point across. And so when the psalmist says that his soul longs in verse 81 and that his eyes long in verse 82, he's not saying two different things. He's saying the same thing twice. That his, his, and when he says that his soul longs for salvation and his eyes long for promise, salvation and promise, the same thing. So it's very clear what this section of Psalm 119 is about. It is about the longing of the psalmist for the salvation, the promise of the Lord. It begs this question just right off the bat. Is that what we long for? You heard me lay out some of the things that our flesh will often long for. The past, a a person, a people, an experience, a change, something else, something different, something more. But does your soul really long for the salvation of the Lord? Do you have this deep-seated inward conviction that, that... while you can stand firm in the salvation of the Lord, you've not fully experienced all there is to it yet? Do you feel at times like the psalmist expresses in a metaphor in verse 83? I guess it's technically a simile. For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, he says. What, what, is it? A, what does he mean a wineskin in the smoke? We don't really use wineskins anymore. Wine skins were, were dried pieces of leather that would be sewn together that would, hold, that would hold exactly what it says, wine. That's what they were for. But they would eventually dry out. This is kind of brings to our mind something Jesus talks about, right, with new wine and old wine skins and that those things, don't, eventually they would, they would burst. Well, he says like a wine skin and smoke. We just get this image, right, this, this piece of leather kind of arranged in a pouch that's intended 
to, to hold liquid, and it was dried to a certain point so that it would be useful. But if you left it over the fire in the smoke day after day after day, what would eventually happen to any piece of leather? It would become so dry, it would crack and be useless. So this is what the psalmist says about himself. He says, he says I've become like this wineskin in the, in the smoke. But notice his response in verse 81 to his longing and to his expression of his kind of inward feeling in 83. I hope in your word, I have not forgotten your statutes. So it speaks to the broader message of Psalm 119, that the word of the Lord is good, even in our longing. Even in in this deep desire that we have for the salvation of the Lord, we can, in this darkest place, trust in the Lord. Trust in what the Lord has said is good. Sometimes it's helpful when we're studying scripture, like we do here every Sunday morning, like I pray that you do just on in your regular quiet time in, in your closet where you're studying the word of God. Sometimes it's helpful to, to, to set side by side one passage of scripture with another because th- that speak of the same thing because th- they'll help kind of illuminate a sum. And so I did that this week, just kind of in my own study with, with this passage in Psalm 119. I also went quickly to Psalm 42, and we're going to kind of do this as we walk through it, because Psalm 42, likely written by the same author here in this, not all of the Psalms were written by the same people, but these two were likely written by the same person, um, and express the same kind of sentiment, the same longing. Listen to the first two verses of Psalm 42. The psalmist there writes, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? So the picture of longing that we get in Psalm 42 is that of of a wild animal, a deer, who, you know, wild animals really only look for a few things. They look for food, they look for shelter, they look for water. So he uses this image of, of a deer looking for a stream of water. And compares his soul to it. He doesn't use the word longing here, but it's the same idea that, our, that his, his soul is panting like a deer pants for water for God. His soul is thirsting for God. Just as he says in Psalm 119, 81 and 82, my soul longs for you, my soul thirsts for you. And I don't think we can go any further here without actually answering that question in our own lives. Do we really have the same kind of longing? Do we really have the same kind of thirst for the Lord that the psalmist expresses here? Now, let's just be honest. For some in the room, Christians in the room, your answer to this question is, you know, I don't, I don't think I do. And here's why. We allow those fleshly longings to take over. And not only do we allow the fleshly longings to take over, we allow the solution to the fleshly longings to take over. And so we begin to seek things of the world. We begin to seek worldly answers and worldly comforts and worldly pleasures. And that, that sates that longing, it, it feeds that longing if but for a time. Because we all know worldly pleasure and 
these things that we, will, that we will kind of placate our longing with, this, this deep-seated need for something else, we'll, we'll find that out in the world, but it only lasts for a moment. It only lasts for a little while, but you may be in that season right now. So it may be that the sermon that you need is not a three-point sermon, but simply a one-point sermon to return to longing for the Lord alone. Put aside your longing for worldly things. Put aside your longing for people and and pleasures. Put, Put aside your longing for a time gone past. Put aside your longing for some kind of change in your life that that we would find in the world and long again for the Lord as the deer pants for the water my soul pants for you. My soul longs for your salvation. This is the nature of Christian longing. That we long for the salvation of the Lord. Number two, how do we respond? Our response to the longing. I'm going to give you the answer. Our response to our Christian longing is to trust the Lord in all circumstances. This is what the psalmist is going to demonstrate to us here in these next four verses. Verses 84 through 87 show us that the psalmist in the darkest of moments as his soul is longing for the salvation of the Lord. He expresses in poetic form the answer the Lord is my help. <laughs> the Lord is the answer. And so we, we respond to Christian longing by trusting in the Lord in four ways in, in his commentary on Psalm 119. Uh, Dr. Danny Aiken, who preached here uh, at the beginning of my sabbatical, identifies these four things, one from each of these verses. I just want us to see them quickly. Verse 84, how long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The psalmist asks, expressing his trust in the Lord to help him to endure his persecutors. This isn't the first mention of persecutors in Psalm 119. This has been a regular theme that there are times when people will rise up against you, where your soul will long for the salvation of the Lord, and you will have a stark reminder of this because there are people who are out to persecute you. Now, normally when I get to persecution in the text, I always like to remind people, just because someone doesn't like you doesn't mean they're persecuting you. Just because somebody disagrees with you doesn't mean they're persecuting you. Just because someone votes differently than you doesn't mean they are persecuting you. People are quick to cry persecution in our day when there is no persecution to be found. But that does not mean that persecution doesn't exist. It certainly does. The kind of persecution that is spoken of in the text and what we mean when we say that we trust in the Lord to help us to endure persecution is when people, because of the stands that we take for Christ, because of the faith and obedience that we have put into Jesus, when those people come against us or they come against you, because of those stands that you have taken, because of the faith that you have in Jesus, that is persecution. And what do we do when our soul longs for the salvation of the Lord 
in the midst of persecution, we trust in the Lord to be our help. What a great reminder for us that we don't fight our own battles, but that the Lord fights for us. Verse 85 says, the insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. Another word for insolent is arrogant. This is the second thing that Dr. Aiken identifies here is that we trust in the Lord to help endure in the midst of arrogance. You know, I don't know if the world has always been arrogant. I've only lived on it for 43 years. But the world has been arrogant for at least the 43 years that I've lived on it. Probably longer than that. It just seems like we, we live in this day where, where people just think they know far more than they do. That they think they have wisdom that, that the Lord says is foolishness. And, and what, that, what that bravado and pride ends up doing is it boasts the arrogant and here's what he says. He says, they, they dig these pitfalls for me. That the arrogant are trying to make the man of God stumble. The arrogant in our day are trying to make Christians stumble. They, they think they have figured out a way to, to disprove our faith in their arrogance. Oh, how wrong they are. Listen, it does you no good whatsoever to argue with an arrogant person. You're not going to get anywhere. Jesus calls that throwing pearls before swine. The author of Proverbs tells us that if you go to battle with one of these people, you become a fool just like they are. What do we do in the face of an arrogant world? We trust in the help of the Lord to endure. We allow our souls to long for his salvation. Verse 86, all your commands are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. So the third thing we identify here is that we trust in the Lord to help us to endure liars. My family, particularly is kind of raising children, children are kind of naturally bent to not always tell the truth, right? And, and so my kids kind of got used to me saying, I, I, don't, I don't endure lying. I I I I I have a relatively long fuse. I handle a lot of things. I don't I don't like a liar. Tell me the truth, okay? I don't care if the truth you think is going to hurt my feelings. I, just tell me the truth. And so there, there's very little that kind of gets me as riled up as a, as a as a liar. And here's what I know: there are people in this room who have been lied about. I mean, just like two. To the point that, it, that, that people are now believing things that are just simply not true about you. What do we do when people are out to spread lies about us? We trust the Lord. <laughs> do, you, do you notice the answer to every one of these questions? We trust the Lord. He says, all your commandments are sure. I don't have to worry about the falsehoods that other people are whispering about me. Because God, what you say about me is true. What the Lord says to be true about you, if you're in Christ, what the Lord says to be true about you is really what matters. What the world says and lies about you, don't, does it really matter? No, it may, it may hurt for a moment, particularly when it's those of you that are, clo- those that are closest to you. It may hurt for a moment, but ultimately it doesn't matter. The Lord will help us to endure liars. The fourth one, verse 87, they have also made a end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. 
Dr. Aiken says this is help, trusting the Lord to help to endure the vicious. Our world is becoming increasingly vicious. It seems like we used to be able to disagree with honor. We can no longer do so. And by the way, I don't look at one side of our culture or one side of the political spectrum and say, well, they're vicious. And the other side. There's just great viciousness all around us. Oh, Christian, would it not be true of us? Would we not? They have almost made an end to me on earth, the psalmist writes. These people are trying to end me. And listen, Christians, there are people out there in our world that want an end to what we do and want an end to what we believe, and they will do anything and say anything to accomplish that end. They are vicious towards the cause of Christ. And what do we do? We trust in the Lord to help us as we long for his salvation. Go, go back to Psalm 42 just quickly again. So the deer pants for the water. My soul pants for you, verse Three and four, my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? <laughs> These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. In the face of the vicious, in the face of those that would cry out to us even today, where is your God? What, do our, what does our soul long for? It longs for the Lord. This is what the psalmist is remembering in Psalm 42. He's remembering going up to the house of the Lord with the people of God. He's remembering that and longing for not an experience, but for the salvation that comes with serving God. When they do this to us, we don't have to fight back. We don't have to get ugly and, and connive alongside of them and scheme just as they would scheme. It's not for us to do. What do we do? We recognize that our soul is longing for something far greater than this world, and we trust in him to help us. Why? Because this may be the question that you're asking right now. Why would I do that? Do you see the, the landscape around us, the cultural landscape? Do you see what people are saying, what people are doing? Maybe, preacher, they're not doing it to you, but they're certainly doing it to me. Why would I just sit idly and just trust the Lord? That's all you want me to do? Yes, and here's why. Because the Lord is faithful in our longing. Remember Spurgeon said, this is midnight of Psalm 119, but the dawn comes at the end. Listen to the dawn. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. The Lord is faithful in our longing. Regardless of the situation surrounding your longing, regardless of which one of those four, persecution and arrogance and liars and the vicious, regardless of which one of those or more you may be experiencing now or will experience sometime in your life, believe this. The Lord is faithful. We can trust in him every single time because he is faithful. We can seek after him and his righteousness because he is faithful. 
We can believe that he goes before us because he is faithful. We can believe that he fights for us because he is faithful. We can believe that he keeps his promises because he is faithful. We can trust that his salvation is sure because he is faithful. When nothing else seems to be faithful, church, God is faithful. He is faithful to you. In the darkest moments of life, and you may be experiencing the midnight of your life right now. Hear me, my friend. God is faithful to you. All of his promises are yes in Jesus. And so if you're in Jesus, all of his promises are yes towards you. He will save you. He will fight for you. He will go before you. If your soul will just long for him. Like the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. Let our souls long for God, trusting in his faithfulness. The psalmist gives us the same idea back in Psalm 42. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. You know, nighttime, when our life is in midnight, nighttime can be the hardest. When we lay our head on our bed and our pillow and all is dark and quiet around us and all we can think about are those who would seek our destruction, all we can think about are those who would spread falsehoods about us, all we can think about are all of the troubles that we face in this world, the psalmist says, at night his song is with me. And what song is that? It is the song of his steadfast love. It is the song of his faithfulness. Yes, our hearts know that there is more. Yes, we experience the longing that all Christians should experience, that the psalmist experienced. But we do so recognizing that the steadfast love of God is his promise of life to us, that he is faithful in our longing. So what? Do I demonstrate a hope in the midst of my longing that can only come from faith in the completed work of Christ. I'm taking this a step further for us. I do this occasionally with our point of application. I will, and here's the clue, I will most often use the word demonstrate in here. And so every so many weeks, I try to come back to a, an application that is like this because it's more than just something we say we believe. This has to be something that actually is lived out in our lives that maybe even other people can see. Let me tell you a place that I see it. And it, it, I count this a privilege. I saw it just this last week as I sit beside a, a, a bed of a saint in our church who is not long for this world, likely does not have many days left. And I talk with them about their life, about their family, about our church. And I get to see a hope that the world would not understand. It's clearly demonstrated in their words, knowing that the end is near for this life, but also fully recognizing that the salvation of the Lord is nigh for them. And they demonstrate it to us. It's not the only place that we see it, but it is a good place to see it. 
that we, that, that we would all, regardless of what is happening around us, demonstrate the kind of hope as we long for his salvation. And the reason that we can do so is because his salvation is sure because the work is completed. Psalm, back in Psalm 42, just quickly, the psalmist asks himself this question. I believe in Psalm 42, he asks himself this same question twice. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Even in the darkness, what the psalmist tells us is that we can hope in God. And here, this, he, the psalmist was before Jesus. So his hope was looking forward to the work of Christ. We are post-crucifixion resurrection, but still, so we look, our hope is in one eye looking backwards on the, on the work of Jesus and on one eye looking forwards to the culmination of that work as he returns to judge the living and the dead. This is the hope of the Christian. So if, if the psalmist can express that same hope looking completely forward, we can express, shouldn't we be able to also express that hope standing in the middle of it? Knowing that Jesus has done for us that which we cannot do on our own. And he has done it. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6 tells us, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus has done it. He's done this. He has made a way for us to be right with God. He has done what we could not do. And what what does the Bible say then? He says that, He is our hope. He's the assurance of the promise of God, and God does not lie. So can we trust in the faithfulness of God? Absolutely we can, even in the darkest moments when the longing is the greatest. Here is the comfort that we have. The salvation of Christ is sure for all who have faith in him. We can know it. We can believe it. We can live in it. And hear me today, my friends. If you are here today and you're not in Christ, there is a free offer of salvation made to you by the gospel of Christ that he sent from God, the one son of God, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, was raised by the power of God, now sits at the right hand of God as a mediator for those who come to him in faith. And the free offer of the gospel to you is this. Believe that and be saved. And go from longing for things of this world to longing for things that are far beyond this world, that are sure and true and find their yes in the completed work of Jesus. Oh, Lord, let us long for you. This is why, church, we long so differently than the world because we long for something that is everlasting and everlasting is eternally true because God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, even in our darkest moments, as our soul longs for you. We can know 
that you are our help, that in your loving kindness, you are good to us, that Jesus has made a way for us, and that we can trust in his work. Father, I pray that if there are those here today who have never trusted in the work of Jesus, that they would do so, and then they would tell someone that they have done so, so that we can then help them to follow Christ alone, to long for his salvation. Help us in our longing, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand with us as we worship the Lord?